Hey there, welcome to another episode of Livewire. I'm Luke Burbank, your host. This week, we're going to be talking to Ryan O'Connell about his amazing Netflix show, Special, which was inspired by his real life, in which, for a while, he used a story about a car accident to explain what was, in fact, his cerebral palsy. He's also going to tell us about the coming out party that he threw for himself, uh, which was exactly what it sounds like. Then grammar expert Mary Norris, who you may know as the comma queen, will stop by to discuss her start as a copy editor at The New Yorker and how she got the magazine to pay for her ancient Greek lessons. Then we've got music from the soul rock group Dirty Revival that you're going to want to hear. All right. So that is the plan. Don't go anywhere. We've got a great show in store for you. And it all gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. How's it going? It's going great. Are you ready to play another round of Mystery City? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. I think you're going to love this one. Okay. I just feel like just the hints alone are very up your alley. Okay. Okay. Uh, this city is home to the country's biggest historically black university based on enrollment. It's also the hometown of the rapper T-Pain. Hmm. And the T in T-Pain is related to this city. Oh, uh, Tallahassee, Florida. Tallahassee, Florida, <laughs> where Livewire is on WFSU. Woohoo, Florida State, let's go. That was the fastest you've got one of these. Clearly, you are a T Pain head. Well, he was on a boat, and so I figured the boat was in Florida, and then I thought uh -huh. of all of the Florida cities that started with T that had HBCUs in them. That was my logic. Your brain is a wonderland. I can't believe you did that in <laughs> like just a blink of an eye. T Pain can sing, by the way. I knew when I saw that T-Pain was one of the hints for this that you were just going to get it like immediately. <laughs> well, T-Pain brings me a lot of tea pleasure. So there you go. Yeah, he does. And we're glad to be on WFSU in Tallahassee. So shout out to everybody hearing us there. Speaking of hearing us, you ready to do this radio show, Elena? Let's do it. All right. Take it away. From PRX, it's Livewire. This week, copy editor and comma queen, Mary Norris. I prefer prose goddess myself. <laughs> Writer and actor, Ryan O'Connell. 
I basically was undoing like all this trauma and like like I had repressed so many memories from being disabled and now I'm supposed to write a book about it? Like, like usually people go to therapy. With music by soul rock group Dirty Revival. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank. Hey, thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in all over the country. We have a great show in store for you this week. Of course, we have posed a question to the audience. The question we asked is, What's your favorite word and why? Because we're going to be talking about a lot of words with Mary Norris. We're going to read those responses from the audience coming up a little bit later in the show. First, though, it is time for the best news we heard all week. This is our little reminder at the top of the show that there is some good news happening out there in the world. Elena, uh, what is the best news that you heard all week? Oh, this one is so close to my heart because it is about a veteran celebrating a birthday. Uh I have a veteran grandfather, my grandfather, Charlie Passarello. He just celebrated his 97th birthday and he was in the Navy. He was a CB in World War II. 97, not bad, huh? Wow. Yeah, 97 years. Didn't he also recently win the like something of the year award in his town or something. Yeah, he won like an award for his service at the Veterans Hospital down there. He's the best. And I was pretty impressed with that 97th birthday. But the same week, another World War II veteran turned 112 years old. 112? Yes, he's the oldest living uh, American World War II veteran. He is a super centarian. That's what you call somebody who makes it past 110. And his name is Mr. Lawrence Brooks. He was born in Norwood, Louisiana, and he lives in New Orleans, which is also where the World War II Museum is. It's this amazing museum that really focuses on the stories of the people that actually served in the war. So like Mm. when my grandfather went to the museum, a serviceman found him and asked him to, to tell his story into a microphone. And that's how they found Lawrence Brooks, who was right in their backyard in New Orleans. And ever since they found him, when he was at the very young age of 105... Just a a spry lad (laughs) at that point. A spring chicken. The museum has been throwing a huge birthday party for him for the past seven years, every year, even during COVID, even after Hurricane Ida. Um, And this time they managed to get a car parade to drive past his house. They had 21,000 notes and cards from people thanking him for his service and wishing him happy birthday. They had two New Orleans brass bands, beauty queens, balloons, and uh, Mr. Brooks was so into the festivities for his 112th birthday, he stood up out of his wheelchair and did a little dance. What? (laughs) Yeah. Apparently, he's very vibrant, very alive, very ready to party. And um, his motto, the thing that he says has sort of kept him going all these years is so good. It's just be nice to people. Um, So it's great to hear that other people were really nice to him and remembered him on his birthday. That is a really touching story, Elena, yeah. about that uh, guy. I have a maybe slightly less sentimental story uh, for you that I do think is the best news that I heard all week. Now, just go with me on this. It involves cow urination. Oh, no. So, <laughs> you know, you've heard about all of the methane that goes into the atmosphere through like cow flatulence, but it turns out also cows go number one a lot, and that has methane in it as well. Of huh. all the cows on earth, 
which is about 1.4 billion, according to this article. They think that the cows on planet Earth create about 55 to 110 gallons of methane just through their urination every day. Every day? Yeah. Every single day. This is what the cows are doing out there. Oh, my God. The problem is it messes up the water supply in places. So it's like not safe to drink the water or swim in it or use the water for like human purposes. So these scientists at the University of Auckland thought maybe there's something we can do about this. So they actually got 16 calves together. And they tried to potty train them. Oh, no. They created an area (laughs) where the cows are allowed to urinate. And you're going to love this, Elena, as a fan of wordplay. It's Uh called the Mulu. Oh, no. No. Why isn't it called the Kamood? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's not too late to change it. I'll call them. So they took these cows. And they basically, it took them like no time to train them to start going to the bathroom in the area where they can actually like take the, the, the urine and then process it and make sure it's not going into the drinking water or the groundwater. They said it took like 15 training sessions to get these calves going and using the mulu. And this is the funny part of the article. They said that that compares favorably to the amount of time it takes to toilet train children ages three to four. So basically it turns out baby calves are about as potty trainable as human children. And maybe easier (laughs) if any of our listeners are currently trying to potty train their children. (laughs) I thought it was really cute because all of the scientists that are cited in this article are just, you can just tell they're excited to get the word out that cows are not as dumb as we think they are. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like they're very smart, kind of plucky animals. And I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe it took potty training them to prove that to the wider world. But if that's what it takes... I think that's the best news that I heard all week. All right, let's uh, get our first guest on over to the show. His memoir, I'm Special and Other Lies We Tell Ourselves, was a hit, which then led to his hilarious Netflix show, Special, uh, which he wrote every episode and also played the lead in. Uh, let's take a listen to this. It's our conversation with Ryan O'Connell. We recorded this at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland back in 2019. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Love. Um, okay, this show special is really great. It's been getting a ton of attention uh, to some degree because it, it tells a story of a gay man who also has cerebral palsy, which is your real life story. Uh, growing up, what kind of impact did uh, having cerebral palsy have on your life? Just as a kid, what was it like for you? I mean, it like, wasn't the best. I, would, I, would, I wouldn't recommend like zero out of ten. Um... I mean, it was like it was like very like strange days, honey. Like it was like me at school with like my able-bodied friends, like playing at the monkey bars, like good night. And then like and then I'd go to like physical therapy and get stretched by some like butch lesbian named Jandy, and then that would be it. <laughs> like and then it would like you know like be like in leg braces. Like it was just my life was very like split down the middle. There was like my able-bodied life and then my disabled life and. It was very confusing. I know that you've, you've said in other interviews, and, and it's, it seems pretty clear on the show, that being gay was kind of low on the list of worries that you had. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, look, when I first realized I was gay at like 12, like, I'm not going to lie, I didn't love that for me. It wasn't, like, the first thing I would have picked. Um, but Was it really Ryan Phillippe that just, was, like, locked it in? His ass and cruel intentions. I think we all know. I yeah. think even you know, Luke. I did. Some part of me stirred yeah. when I saw I that. Think, I think everyone stirred. Absolutely. I really 
did. So, um, yeah, that, that wasn't like my first choice for sure. But um, I come from a very gay family, so ever, I knew everyone would accept me for that. So that was like no big deal. Um, uh, did you really make like a short film to yeah. come out? So I always had a flair for the theatrics. <laughs> um, you know, mama loves a stage. <laughs> Um, so basically I kind of came out to like a bunch of my friends and then I was like so exhausted like by the manual labor of it all. I had like 20 names to still knock off the list. So I was like, why don't I just throw a coming out party for myself? So I just like sent a text to everyone being like, come to my party for a secret that will change all our lives forever. <laughs> and, then, and then I made little gift bangs, you know, very creative, gay, et cetera, et cetera. And then I recorded a video with my little camcorder, like Blair Witch Project style with my friend Katie. And we just like, it started with a slow dancing and she goes in for a kiss and I'm like, no! I'm like, I can't do it. And she's like, why not? Don't you find me attractive? I'm like, I do. It's just, I'm gay, bitches! And I turned to the camera. And then like, and then everyone in the audience was like, what? Like, they were stunned, which is, like, kind of lol, because I'm like, really? You were wait, stunned? wait, wait, wait. The, the audience of friends that yeah, you the, made come over to your I house and... I gathered them around the, and the TV. You, they sat around the TV and you I said, like, he, 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 watch yeah. this. Yeah, I was like, watch this little reveal. And, and they were surprised to learn that the person who had orchestrated this event yeah. was, in fact, a gay man. And by the, and by the way, I think... I know, but honey, that's Ventura, California for you, honey. We're behind, we're behind. I'm from Ventura. Anyway, um, so we all danced to like moving units and called it a day. <laughs> um, yeah, we're talking to Ryan O'Connell. His Netflix show is special. Um, I know that Beverly Hills 90210 was a big show in your life as a kid, and then you were a writer on the reboot of Beverly Hills 90210? Yeah, I, I was, but I had to leave to do press for special. <laughs> but I was on it for, for a little bit. Yeah, it's going to be great. You guys should watch it. Was that, I mean, were you just like, was your mind just blown every day that you're actually helping create the next version of this thing that you grew up like loving? It was surreal, but it also wasn't my first time at the reboot rodeo. I also wrote for Will and Grace. So <laughs> I, oh. was, I was in this weird position where like both shows I've idolized, I've like worked on. So I feel like um, it's very relatable. I know <laughs> very, very relatable content I'm giving you right now. <laughs> I'm like, no, it was nothing. No, it was amazing. It was amazing being able to like, um, be face-to-face -face with these people that I grew up kind of idolizing and were so formative. I mean, I, I watched Beverly Hills 90210 at a very inappropriate age, like age four. It came out in 89. <laughs> it came out in 89, and I was born in 86. I was straight up watching it when I was three or four. And so, you know when you're younger, your brain is a sponge and you can like learn other languages? Yes. I didn't learn another language. I just learned Beverly Hills 90210. So like, right. there are things to this day that I just You learned know. fluent Aaron spelling. No, seriously, like there's like exorcist style. I'm like literally like, I'll have like a flash. I'm like, oh yeah, Brandon lost his virginity to Cheryl, who he met in Minnesota, season one. And I'm like, <laughs> what had to die in order for that to live? Like, yeah, right. seriously, like there is so much real estate in my brain that's just Beverly Hills 90210 and then the rest is just like cobwebs and blank spaces. Like. Yeah. I don't, I don't get it. It scares me to think of what I've forgotten so I could remember like Emily Valentine like trying to burn down a float. You know what I mean? Anyways, let's purge. This is Livewire from PRX. We are playing a chat that we had with the writer and actor Ryan O'Connell. We recorded this back in 2019 at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland. We've got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere because we'll be back with much more. Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh my, there's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. 
ZBiotic's pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. ZBiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make ZBiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/livewire to get 15% off your first order when you use livewire at checkout. ZBiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to ZBiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Welcome back to Livewire. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. All right, let's pick up our conversation with writer and actor Ryan O'Connell from the Netflix show Special. We recorded this back in 2019 at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland. To me, one of the more unexpected parts of your story that happens in the Netflix show but is real to what happened in your life was that you were basically able to pretend and sort of lie that you were, in fact, not disabled for a significant chunk of your 20s. How does somebody even do that? Yeah, okay, so here's the deal. So I got hit by a car when I was 20, which, like, was such a deep troll. Like, I thought <laughs> I thought for sure, like, being gay and disabled... Let me just, if I... Ryan, can oh, I yeah. translate for people? Sure. When he says it was a deep troll being hit by a car, it doesn't mean, like, a troll hit you. No. It was, like, life trolling you. No, like, like, a life let's troll. give this guy cerebral palsy, yeah. and then let's hit him with a car. Like, I thought I was done. Like, I thought I was, like, fit. I was like, okay, gay, disabled, like, I'm good for the rest of my life, right? And it's like, JK. Um, so I was not loving that and then um, then I moved to New York and I was like really really saddled with these feelings of like oh my god I'm going to meet all these new people and I'm going to have to explain Oh, people are going to be like oh why are you limping and I'm like well that's my cerebral palsy and they're like well what's this scar on your arm I'm like well that's because I was hit by a car and I just I, I just you know <laughs> call me crazy but <laughs> being the new kid I didn't want to leave with that and um, so basically I moved to New York and someone just assumed my limp was from my accident and it never occurred to me that I could actually do that and so then I just decided to rewrite my identity as an accident victim and throw cerebral palsy into a dumpster that's what I did and I thought I kind of created this giant life hack I was like ha ha sucker like I'll see you later cerebral Palsy, don't call me ever again. <laughs> um, but really, what I was doing is I was denying a big part of my identity, and that causes problemos, you know? What was it like the first time where you realized, oh, I'm, I'm actually misleading someone about kind of what's going on with me and like did you feel like okay this is a fork in the road like I'm just gonna like basically lie about what where these symptoms are coming from well I mean I just feel like I just feel like as my 20s went on I feel like the first couple years I was like an accident victim I was like living laughing and loving but then (laughs) like the middle of my 20s I was like not living laughing and loving and I was just kind of like lame as a rob but I don't think I I don't think I understood I don't think I connected the reason why I was miserable was because I was denying my cerebral palsy. But anyway, so I got um, a book deal to write about my life. Again, very relatable content. Because you um, were, because basically you were writing uh, a blog, and so you were constantly mining your own experience and, and, and writing about it, and you got this book deal, but it was not to write about being secretly disabled. Right. I sold them this stupid, like, how to be 20-something Urban Outfitters book. Like, it was actual trash. <laughs> I can't believe they bought it, LOL. But, um, but anyway, I... I realized, like, in the thick of, like, my misery, 
oh, like, Ryan, like, maybe you should talk about your cerebral palsy because it's, like, bad that you don't, question mark? Like, I don't think I, like, really understood it. I feel like sometimes you have these weird brief moments of clarity when you're in the thick of, like, the I hate myself fair. So I went to Simon & Schuster, like, the day of our cook-off meeting, and I was like, oh, actually, they, they were like, I have a title for your book. I'm special. And I'm like, LOL that you say that because I'm special in more ways than one. So I, they did not understand that you had cerebral palsy. They didn't know. They thought I was just wow. Yeah. I mean, they thought I got hit by a car. I mean, like, it just doesn't come up. Here's the why it was like a perfect lie. No one comes up to you and is like, hey, how's the cerebral palsy going? Like, people don't know what it looks like. So if you just say you got hit by a car, you got hit by a car. No one's going to be like investigative CP reporter being like, I don't think so. The story <laughs> doesn't track. <laughs> Liar. Burn up at the stake. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. not how our world works. So, so you, you go to this meeting with, with Simon and & Schuster, and they've given you this book deal, and you're supposed to yeah. write one kind of book, one of these very, you know, ephemeral, just kind of thing. And then you were like, at this point, you had emotionally arrived at this point in your journey where you were like, right. I need to actually just come out as a disabled person. Yeah, and they were thrilled. I think it just like, like made the book chicer and had more depth. So they were like, great, off to the races. But, but I, really, I really fooked myself, though, because like, <laughs> I... I was, I know you can't really curse on this show, so I'm being very... Thank well you. Done. Like, I basically was undoing, like, all this trauma, and, like, like I had repressed so many memories from being disabled, and now I was supposed to write a book about it? Like, like usually people go to therapy, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway. By, by the way, if you're just tuning in, we're talking to Ryan O'Connell. He has a show on Netflix called Special. It's such a, I think it's a compelling idea for a show, and it's taken from your real experience. Yeah. And it took how long to actually get this show made? It took four years, which, like, yeah, too long. Yeah. <laughs> Way too long. And, and um, is it really because just people thought there's not an audience for this type of programming? Yeah, I think the culture just needed to catch up. I think in 2015, people were just, like, just really registering that, like, women were funny. They were like, Amy Schumer, she's crazy, and she has things to say. Like, that's where we were at. 2015, so like gay disabled was like down the list. Like, <laughs> it was like literally they're just processing Amy Schumer being funny. Right. And they're like, I don't get it because she's not a size two. Like confusing. Right. Um, so anyway, so like Ma, they weren't ready for this jelly to say the least. Yeah. But it was really disappointing because like we went out and we like obviously murdered the pitches. Like it was amazing. Yeah. And then everyone was like, we're making an offer, we're making an offer, and then they all got cold feet. But I really believe in timing and, like, the zeitgeist and all that stuff. And basically, we ended up going to this digital branch of Warner Brothers called Stage 13 that was doing short-form content. And they commissioned me to write eight 15-minute episodes. So that's what I did. And then we sent the scripts to Netflix, and Netflix bought it. I think you're really great in the show. I think you're pretty good at playing... Uh, a gay disabled man named Ryan oh. in the show. I can't believe you weren't going to act in the show originally. Well, I think I never thought of myself as like an actor. You know, it's funny, like as a marginalized person, like I think you're always instructed to like be like, oh, I don't want to take up too much space. And to want something, you almost feel bad. So I felt like I was wanting a lot just by wanting my own TV show, but my life experiences, that felt almost indulgent. So to say that I wanted to star in it, ooh, that's too much. That's crazy. So I think I had to really, I think like now looking back at it, like I always did want to do it, but I just never gave myself permission to want those things. But now I have no problem being the girl with the most cake. <laughs> All right, Ryan, here at Livewire, we like to try to get to know our guests on a, a deeply personal level. I feel like we've already been doing that. 
I still feel, though, like we could maybe get to know you on an even more personal level. So here uh, in my hands, I have a jar. In it are the five essential questions of our time. We call this exercise the jar of truth. <gasps> I'm triggered. What's... <laughs> Here's how this is going to work. Uh, our announcer, Elena Passarella, she's going to uh, pull out a question from the Jar of Truth. Ryan, she is going to read this question to you, and we need your honest, truthful response. Okay. Is it okay to wear actual pajamas to the office under any circumstances? No. <gasps> I don't. I seriously, I worked from home for many years, and I feel like I would get depressed if I, like, went full slob kebab. Yes, but that... <laughs> That dynamic maybe is somewhat informed by the fact that you're working at home. What about going to an office environment where all, we all want to be more comfortable? If someone shows up to the writer's room of special... Oh, my God, as if I would fire them immediately. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Just because we're writers doesn't mean we can't be chic. <laughs> like, hello? Um, no, I, I vote no. Is this a voting thing? I want to... I vote no. Hey, you're, you're, you're the sole vote. Yeah, oh. you're... Well, then, honey, it passed. Yeah. <laughs> you are the... You Is are that controversial? I don't know. Is Portland, like, very pro-pajams? I mean, I feel like... I yeah. feel like if this was L.A., people would be like, I hear you, but you guys are, like, very down-to-earth, and you're like, wait, we love pajamas. Like, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. There must be, like, a middle ground between, like, pajamas and then, like, Whatever. Like, there is a whole like world of women's clothing that's basically formal pajamas. Well, just gauzy, you know elastic. What? I'm waist. into that. I love athleisure. Yeah. Like I just love wearing like my Nike shorts like everywhere. Yeah. So I kind of understand pajamas are just like a triggering concept to me. But maybe like my Nike shorts are my pajamas, and maybe I need to unpack that. Generous. We got there, everyone. You want to do another one? Sure. I feel like you, yeah. you really nailed that one, Ryan. <laughs> Elena is selecting a question from the Jar of Truth. Okay. Where do you stand, Ryan O'Connell, on the great debate of our times, answering thank you with no worries rather than you're welcome? Is that chill or chillingly rude? That's not rude. I, say, I think I say no worries a lot. Really? Oops. Wait, wait, wait. So someone says thank you. Yeah. And you say, no worries. Why yeah. is that wrong? I'm sorry. Is this a cultural thing again? I'm confused. I, well, I would say I don't write these questions, but I have, I have noticed that if somebody says no worries to me, my brain would go, oh, am I supposed to be worried? Yeah. Like when I say something that I mean mm. to be probably overly polite or if I'm moving through a restaurant and I bump into someone and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. And they go, no worries. I feel like they're giving me permission to not be worried about it. That really sounds like a personal problem, Luke. <laughs> Like, I don't, honey, I don't understand. Like, clearly you have stuff to work out. XOXO, yeah. best of luck with your project. <laughs> Ryan O'Connell, everyone, his new show is special. That was Ryan O'Connell, recorded back in 2019 at the Alberta Rose Theater here on Livewire. Uh, both seasons of his show special are available on Netflix, and Ryan has been keeping super busy. He just joined the cast of the Peacock reboot of Queer as Folk, and uh, his uh, debut novel, Just By Looking at Him, will be coming out next year. So look for that. Hey, special thanks this episode to Anna Anafi. 
of Portland, Oregon. Anna is part of the Livewire member community and generously supports our show with a donation each month, uh, which is really appreciated because it's literally how we're able to do the show. So thank you so much, Anna, for keeping Livewire going. This is Livewire. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarella. Of course, each week we ask the Livewire audience a question. In honor of our chat with Mary Norris, the comma queen, uh, we ask the audience, what's your favorite word and why? Elena has been gathering up those responses. What are people telling you? Here's one from Katie that I love. Haberdashery is Katie's favorite word. I thought, Katie said, this word meant something completely different, and I used to use it as an expletive. (laughs) (laughs) What the haberdashery is going on? (laughs) And that means a a hat place, right? That's a haberdashery? I think so. I think so. Or maybe just like a place for clothing, maybe? It it makes a good exclamation, though. It does. I mean, that sounds like an old-timey kind of slightly, uh, you know, blue word. That you might just yell, like haberdashery. <laughs> yeah. Or like haberdasher sounds a little bit like balderdash. Like, what's up with all this right. haberdash? You know? Right, exactly. I might start using that and just see how long it takes people to start emailing into the live wire offices that I'm <laughs> misusing haberdashery or haberdashing. Uh, what's someone else's favorite word? Oh, I like this from Phil. Palapterigo quadrate. What? (laughs) Which is a term describing a shark's jaw that I probably woefully mispronounced. And Phil says, if you couldn't spell it, you couldn't pass the final exam for vertebrate morphology class, which I'm assuming Phil took. And now Phil will always spell palapterigo quadrate correctly. (laughs) A shark's jaw. That's something that describes some element of a shark's jaw. Wow, that is a that is a 10 cent word. I'll tell yeah, you what. Yeah, yeah. I was very afraid of sharks as a kid. Like I, my grandmother lived in a condominium and if I was swimming in the swimming pool and I started to think about there maybe being a shark in the swimming pool, I would get so scared that I have to get out. <laughs> well, I think we blame Jaws for that because you're of the age yes. where Jaws probably permeated everyone's fears. Yes. It definitely made an impact on me. Uh, all right. What's another favorite word from our listeners? Here's one from Heather. Heather's favorite word is totalitarianism. (laughs) That's not a word I was expecting to make this list. No. Well, Heather says, yes, it's an awful system, but the way it rolls off the tongue as a rare eight-syllable word is very pleasing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I remember learning the word Mm anti-disestablishmentarianism. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if that is a real word or if that was ever actually used out there, but that was maybe to this day still the longest word that I know. Isn't there one that's like squepidipidalius or something and it means using a lot of long words? (laughs) (laughs) We really should have done some research before we started this segment. (laughs) Okay, one more before we move on. Another word that our listeners love. Okay, last one has got to go to Tracy. Tracy's favorite word is nincompoop because Tracy says it's silly and according to my eight-year-old, hilarious because it has Mm -hmm. the word poop in it. (laughs) Yeah, that always just kind of felt like a loophole to me when I was a kid that you could say nincompoop because of the fact (laughs) that it contained a word that I was not allowed to say except in that context. It was a get-out-of-trouble-free card. By the way, the word that I completely mispronounced earlier is actually sesquipedalian, and it's uh, characterized by using a lot of long words or being long-winded. Wow, sesquipedalian. Mm-hmm. 
That might be my uh, new favorite word. At the risk of being sepsquishadalius, <laughs> we should probably get our next guest out here. Uh, and boy, she could tell you about some words. She might be America's most famous copy editor. She worked at The New Yorker for more than 30 years. She wrote the book Between You and Me, Confessions of a Comma Queen, which was a huge hit. It was a New York Times bestseller. Um, back in 2019, she stopped by the Alberta Rose Theater to talk to us about her latest book, Greek to Me, Adventures of the Comma Queen. Take a listen to this. It's our chat with Mary Norris. Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, is Grammar Star an oxymoron? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> My fame is in this pocket of the world that is labeled grammar. You know? <laughs> well, the pocket uh, is strong here in Portland because people have been so excited that you're going to be on the show. And it's so interesting because your, uh, you know, your writing is, is about words and it's about word usage and grammar. Did you ever see this coming Growing up in Cleveland, a lover of words, I mean, did you think, oh yeah, this is going to lead me to the bright lights of the public radio stage? I always wanted to be a writer, and I got a job so that I could pay the rent, and that job was copy editor. And when I was asked to write about commas, I thought, oh no, don't make me, don't make me. And then, it, you know, it turned out this piece about commas ran on the... New Yorker's website, and it went viral. And then, then it was, would you write about semicolons? And would you write about dashes? And, um, and then it was my idea uh, to write about pencils. <laughs> so another topic of great interest. Yeah. <laughs> um, this uh, latest book is about the Greek language and also your love of the nation of Greece. What, when did you first become fascinated with the Greek language? I had this idea I wanted to go to Greece after seeing the movie Time Bandits. Um, well, it's... So good. It's a great movie. You know, yeah. with the, it's um, Terry Gilliam, right? And the premise of the movie is that these little people go to the past um, to plunder the treasure from the past. And there's a, one scene where they go to ancient Greece and Sean Connery is there as Agamemnon. And he's dueling with the Minotaur. And um, it was lovely to watch, but what I really loved was the background. It was just sky and earth, and the earth was not green and rich or lush. It was just like sand. I, I wanted to go there. And I did find out that they shot that movie in Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Did you get the New Yorker to pay for your, uh, to, to basically study the Greek language at Columbia University? Well, I first started studying modern Greek at NYU, okay. and the New Yorker had always had a policy of paying employees tuition if, they, if the employees took a course in something that was related to their work. Mm. And, um, well, the, the modern Greek course was, was fairly cheap. But <laughs> when I came back and I went to Greece, I had a wonderful time. I fell in love with the Aegean, and I wanted to read ancient Greek after I came back. And then, you know, so I enrolled a course in ancient Greek at Columbia, and I submitted the bill, and they balked. 
it was a, it cost a bit more to go to Columbia than it does to take a night class. So um, this guy, the executive editor, he said, I don't really see what ancient Greek has to do with your job on the copy desk per se. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I, that's when I started keeping a dossier of words that went, that came through the copy desk that had Greek roots. I wrote them a letter with all these words in it, and I got the head grammarian to write a letter um, to say that, yes, ancient Greek is, in fact, useful on the copy desk. She said that, you know, once in a while there's a Greek word in the magazine, and she wasn't sure that her knowledge of Greek was current enough to keep us from making ignorant mistakes. Nice. So that was it. Did you feel like you fit in there? Mary, you came from Cleveland. You were always a f fan of, you know, of, of the English language. You always studied it. But I mean, that's some pretty erudite company, right? To be at the New Yorker and then to be telling the writers for the New Yorker that they're doing it wrong. <laughs> well, I worked my way up to that. Um, I started out in the, what is called the editorial library. They would index the magazine. So it was a, definitely an entry level job. Instead of helping put the magazine together, we actually took it apart with single edge razor blades and pasted it in scrapbooks. And we did this thing, we indexed the cartoons. We'd flip through the magazine, and there were four of us, and look at the cartoons and decide what they were about. <laughs> oh my and, God, you had to create a category yeah, they for had to like be a pig trying to return a present to uh, the gimbals <laughs> counter? Yes, had, they had to be indexed by subject, and gimbals, and complaint department, and maybe pajamas, or whatever it was about. And that was in the days before the internet, if somebody wanted a cartoon from the New Yorker and couldn't remember the artist's name, or they wanted the issue that it ran in, and they'd call and describe it, um, say, there's this bird laid a square egg, and we could look that up. And <laughs> So you were down there doing that, and you eventually worked your way up to really being kind of the head proofreader and, and, and copy person. What was the term? The okayer? The okayer. There, are, there still are about five people who, um, they start out as copy editors, and proofreading is also kind of a low-level job there. But what the okayers do is read a piece before it's scheduled to go to press. You read it, you give the editor uh, your proof with your suggestions or anything you've caught. And the most fun really is these okaying meetings when you get to sit down with the editor, the fact checker, the author, um, sometimes the libel lawyer and, and another yeah. proofreader, and you all go over it together one page at a time. and decide on the final changes, and then the okayer is the one that takes that proof away, has all the changes collated on one proof, and makes the changes, and then you go home to bed. Uh, I mean, the, some of these writers must not enjoy a team of people analyzing their master work they've turned in. The best writers love it. They love the process. How often does a writer have that many people paying close attention <laughs> to it, you know? So it's the, and the best writers are the ones who are really open to uh, feedback and response. It's the, it's the little ones who <laughs> fight for every word. I like it my way, you know. Wow. Um, 
you're sort of known as the comma queen. Is that a title that you like having? Do you like being associated with knowing a lot about grammar? Or do you worry that it, it kind of sounds a little pedantic, a little know-it-all-ish? It does kind of scare people. I prefer prose goddess myself. <laughs> so the comma queen label was, was invented by my literary agent. Um, and I f it took me a long time to get it that there's a, an echo with drama queen. Ah. It took me a while to figure oh, it out. Oh, so you didn't even really get the reference. They just told no. you, Mary, go with this. It'll be big. And you were like, okay, fine. I guess I'm the comma queen now. Yeah, I, well, I have a comma crown. I didn't bring it with me on this trip. But somebody made an aluminum crown with little dangling commas, all in historically correct typefaces. <laughs> oh. Uh, where was this crown presented to you? <laughs> At a party, you know. <laughs> Sounds like a hell of a party. <laughs> um, I, I'm wondering where the line between inaccurate or, or uh, incorrect grammar is and where sort of making new art, you know, saying something or writing something in a grammatically incorrect way in the service of a style of, of communicating, like jazz music or the blues don't always follow the quote-unquote rules of music, but that's why it's art. Like, how do you figure out which is which when you're, when you're either editing or even writing stuff yourself? Uh, I guess you just have to um, feel everything individually. You know, you can't make any uh, blanket decisions about what's, what works and what doesn't. One of the oddest pieces I ever had to work on was about a rap singer called Earl Sweatshirt. Oh, sure. You know Earl? Yeah. <laughs> I do, actually. I mean, I don't know him, but I definitely know his work. He's from Odd Future. <laughs> well, I had to decide in that piece which of all the obscenities um, might be spared. You know? <laughs> How do you... Uh, also decide, I guess, I mean, language obviously does evolve, and a lot of people want to use pronouns that aren't traditionally associated with a person and things like that. When do you know, as a, as a language expert, when it's time for us to all just kind of move forward with something and, and give up whatever the old system has been? It becomes blazingly clear <laughs> at some point. Um, uh, the New Yorker is conservative about language, and most print things used to be conservative about language. But it's, you know, I, I'm sorry, I, I'm kind of evading that, that question because it's, it's very hard. I fight a lot of slang terms. Hella. Hella? Hella. Man, we are really at the opposite ends of this debate, Mary. Because <laughs> I am trying to get hella more into the lexicon, and you're trying to get it less in the lexicon? That is hella um, rude. Well, see, I can't use it, so <laughs> I don't know how to use it. It did get in, by the way. I, um, the writer made a good case for it, so it did get in. But, I mean, it, you just feel that it becomes, you say, blazingly clear, like when it's time to, how about, you know, like, selfie? Is selfie okay? Yeah, selfie went right in, yeah. Okay. Um, something like a ringtone, when... You know, we started seeing ringtones just when we got cell phones. Ringtone was not yet in the dictionary, and if it's not in the dictionary, it's going to be two words, ring and tone. But it looked ridiculous, 
and I knew it was on its way. Those compounds will have, they'll start out as two words, then for a while they'll have a hyphen, but it's inevitable that they're going, that that hyphen is going to go and the word is going to be closed up. So every once in a while you think, let's just rush this one along. <laughs> okay, let's just make it ringtone one word. Um, your, your latest book is about, uh, it's about the Greek language and it's also about your trips to Greece. And I have to say, it involves more nudity than I was expecting <laughs> a book about grammar. Was this a shameless attempt to use sex to sell this book? Yes. <laughs> was that kind of, uh, uh, anything that you deliberated over putting in the idea of yes, you? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. I did wonder if this belonged in the book. And there's something that happened, actually, um, after the book came out. The, the nudity is in a chapter about Aphrodite, and it's about going to visit Cyprus and swimming, in a, um, swimming around some rocks, because I was told that if anyone who swam around those rocks would be beautiful forever. So, um, you know, I th was thinking back later, and the person who told me that was the guy who rented me a car. So, <laughs> um, Noted Greek know. historian Terry. <laughs> anyway, I did swim nude around those rocks because I didn't want to make the mistake that Achilles' mother made when she held her son by the heel. Mm. And I thought, this should touch all of me. I even drank some of the water. You didn't want to have an Achilles' heel of non-hotness? Right, yeah, that, that would be perfect. Well, I don't want to spoil the ending of your book about what happened to you in your nude swimming over there, but I just want to recommend it for everybody. Mary Norris is the guest. The book is Greek to Me. This is Livewire Radio. That was Mary Norris right here on Livewire. Her books are Between You and Me, and It's Greek to Me. We've got to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to hear some music from Dirty Revival, so don't go anywhere. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal T this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. And they make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LiveWire, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to Livewire. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. All right, our musical guest this hour is a seven-piece soul rock band that has shared the stage with the likes of George Clinton. They've also performed at festivals all over the country, and they've released a self-titled full-length album. Check out Dirty Revival, performing on our show at the Alberta Rose Theater back in 2019. Yeah, yeah, hey. Yeah. 
Fargo es. She was hiding out for 28 days. Before she did take a step, her path again on the track. Hey, hey. Dreams of heading out California way. Escape the arm of the law after nothing for a man. Hey, hey, oh. She stole little things to get by. Yeah. When she was eating off the land, John Irwin can't play. She left that little girl crying in the pines. She wants the water off her face, baby, right here to play. Let her not go, baby. Well, baby, girl, she gon' get it. And you know she's gonna get it. Everything can be so much. Well, baby, girl, she gon' make it.
That was Dirty Revival right here on Livewire. Their self-titled album is available now. All right, before we get out of here, a little preview of next week's show. This is going to be a big one, Elena. We have Mm. Oscar Award-winning actor and deaf activist Marley Matlin. She's (gasps) going to be telling us about her new film, Coda, which won the Grand Jury Prize at the Sundance Film Festival this year. Everybody's talking about this film. We're also going to be chatting with Melissa Phoebos about her extraordinary book, Girlhood, which the Kirkus Review calls profound and gloriously provocative. Then we're going to hear some new music from the electrifying blues duo, Ida May. And as always, we're going to be looking to get your answer to our listener question. Uh, Elena, what are we going to ask the listeners for next week's show? If you could give the teenage version of yourself any advice, what would it be? Oh, man. Stop teasing your bangs. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Mine would be stop teasing your sisters. You could be your best friends when you get older. Aww. All right. Uh, if you have a response to that question, if you've got some advice you'd like to give the teenage version of yourself, you can send it in to us via Twitter or Facebook. We are at Livewire Radio. All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. A huge thanks to our guests, Mary Norris, Ryan O'Connell, and Dirty Revival. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Our assistant editor is Trey Hester. And Stephanie Moore is our social media manager. Our house band is Sam Tucker, Ethan Fox Tucker, and A. Walker Spring, who also composed our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixed this episode along with Corey Schreppel. Our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Arts Commission, a state agency funded by the state of Oregon and the National Endowment for the Arts. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank member Anna Anafi of Portland, Oregon. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank. For Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.